I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yes, indeed. And uh, this is episode number 283. And uh, we have a little bit of reality to deal with uh, here at the Mm. beginning, darn it. Um, We just want to say a few words about our friend uh, Jenny Colvin, who passed away since our last recording. And uh, in in a very shocking, uh, it was it was very surprising. She's she was young. I think she was forty three, mm-hmm. um, and she is um, part of our. I would say this this core group of podcasters um, that sort of sprung from the same well. I guess <laughs> in a way, you know, over at SFF Audio, that's where I met her originally, and uh, it's where I met you too. Um, mm-hmm. yep. On SFF audio, she was a guest on that. <clears throat> and then her and I started, uh, the reading envy podcast together and, uh, I am nowhere near her level of reading <laughs> and, uh, was completely unable to keep up with her. And it was also at a time where I had a job that I traveled quite a bit. Um, but then, uh, she took that and ran with it and, uh, has made it something, uh, absolutely fantastic. She's got a wonderful group of listeners, and uh, I guested on that podcast a few times. But um, but that's how I know her, and um, you know she she just became a close friend over the years, and uh, we'll miss her greatly. And I just wanted to make sure we noted that. Yeah, I also met Jenny on SFF Audio, where I met you and Jesse and Brian Alexander and all these other people who, as you say, it's this kind of core group of podcasters. And the thing I love about well, all these people is that I love all these people because we are so different in our worldviews in so many ways. And yet, it's kind of like the ideal group because none of us care. We're all willing to listen to people talk about books through the lenses of our experience or, you know, ideals and accept it and be friendly. It's something that I think is really rare in the world today. And Jenny was definitely one of those people for me. Yeah. I remember she her husband had a conference, I think, in Grapevine, which is near here. And so I was able to go out and spend part of the day at the hotel she was at. And we just wandered around this hotel and talked and sat and, you know, had coffee and all this stuff. And it was a wonderful few hours to get to meet her in person and just talk about anything and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, she didn't even read the same kind of books I read. Largely because she she just her imagination just went off in different ways, and also the worldview, of course, interprets a lot of the things that you read. And um, but that didn't matter, you know. She was still just a lovely person and somebody I'm glad I knew. And I had not really kept touch with her through the years, but every so often she'd pop up on Goodreads or Facebook with a little comment, and um, I always loved reconnecting with her. So it was a real shock when she died so unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel really bad about it. Yes. Yeah, me too. I'll, I miss her. Yeah, I miss her greatly. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really nice seeing the uh, tributes to her. Um, you know, Luke Burridge and Julian, Juliana, I, I think hopefully I'm pronouncing her name right, over mm. at the Science Fiction Book Review Podcast did a, a very nice little remembrance of her. And uh, over at the Sword and Laser Podcast where she had guest hosted while one of the hosts was on uh, maternity leave, um, they're doing a really wonderful tribute. You know, they select a book to read every uh, month. And this year, their book pick is pick as many books as you want to read and read as many <laughs> books as you can in June. So I, I, if there's something oh, more fitting than that. then That is so perfect. Yeah, yes, so what a wonderful tribute. Great on them. So, yeah, be sure to check that out. 
the Sword and Laser podcast is uh, terrific. And, um, of course, our friend Jesse, you know, sends his regards to, and right. uh, uh, I know that Brian Alexander as well, and, uh, you know, our, our whole group, her whole uh, little group of podcasters. So mm-hmm. a group that I love very, very much. And uh, yes. Jenny, yeah, you'll be missed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. And then what's interesting about this is something that you pointed out right before the podcast. We're about to talk about a book called Monsignor Quixote by Graham Greene. And uh, you you found, you know, what, what you said about disparate people getting along together. Is there a better example than this book of that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thinking how fitting it is that we, all these different kinds of people, miss Jenny and um, because in Monsignor Quixote, the main characters are a Catholic priest and a communist mayor of a town, ex-mayor of a town. And they spend the whole book gently trading barbs about each other's belief system, but that yet they're good friends. Yeah, absolutely. Throughout this whole thing. And now I have not read a lot of Graham Greene. Um, now, I know that Graham Greene is a Catholic, right? And he wrote, um, I think I read The End of the Affair. That was Graham Greene, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's the only one that I've read by him. So, I don't know if you've read more than that, but is this a typical Graham Greene novel? I think this is not typical, but I also think it's hard to say what's really typical because um, – this is the first book of his I read because I've always been terrified of reading Graham Greene. It sounds like he writes very grim, gritty books. And so like a lot of those, you know, Catholic authors of that time period. And um, this one, I don't even remember where I heard of it, but I thought what an interesting idea to have a priest who kind of is following broadly in Don Quixote's footsteps and somebody had said it was humorous and everything, and I picked it up and I just fell in love with it. And then um, Hannah had listened to Colin Firth read <laughs> The End of the Affair, and boy, is that an amazing audiobook. Mm-hmm. Than yeah, that's, listens where to I, it. that's where I read okay. it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yep. it's, it's, without that, I'm not sure if I could have made it through the book, but then it got chosen for our book club, our Catholic Women's Book Club, and I read it and discussed it. And fell in love with that book. Uh, the one he's really famous for as a Catholic book is um, The Power and the Glory, about a whiskey priest in Mexico during maybe one of their many political uprisings. Anyway, um, I have no idea, obviously. And then he also wrote, though, a series of books that were like spy novels. So Our Man in Havana which I think also is supposed to be humorous because it's about a vacuum cleaner salesman who gets mistaken as a spy. (laughs) And so he's getting paid to be a spy and he's just pocketing the money going, this is great. And then he gets sucked into the spy world. Oh, cool. But he's written Mm -hmm. other books like that, you know, spy books. And he was Catholic, but he was one of those conflicted Catholics a lot. I think he converted before he married his wife but then he would doubt and he would fall away. And I never really paid much attention to his own internal problems because I was busy looking at what the book was saying. Different books were saying, hmm. the two I read. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, he's not one of those people where you can go, and what a Catholic he was. <laughs> yeah, so th- this book, um, just very briefly, is, is late in its career. Um, it looks like. So it was written mm-hmm. in 1982 and he wrote, for example, the power and the glory was in 1940. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Our man in Havana, 1958. Okay. So yeah, this was late. Um, but it's fun. It, it, it's, it's a fun book and it's a, it's like an ongoing conversation throughout the whole thing, um, between these two. Yeah, and it is like Don Quixote in that that's a picaresque novel, they call it. And so is this, which is usually it's a road trip with friends, and the hero is either a rogue or problematic in some way. He often winds up arrested and in jail. Um, 
Sometimes he'll die or be thought dead. And as I looked it up, I went, oh yeah, all those elements are getting hit in this book, albeit in quite funny ways. <laughs> and yeah. in this sense, I've, um, I've tried Don Quixote about three times. And I always get to about the same point, and I quit. Yeah, hmm. It's a difficult book for me for some reason. I think because it's so much humor and whimsical and there's nothing else that I can see going on. I probably need a class. But um, this book's kind of that way. It's the it's the innocent Monsignor Quixote on his little quest to get his purple socks and his bib to show he's a Monsignor. And it's really so. So basically, let me just real quick back up and say. He is the happy little, well, mostly happy little priest of his his tiny village, and his bishop just can't stand him because he's not serious enough. He's not, he's, he seems to be too gentle and forgiving, maybe. At one point early, a Monsignor from Rome goes through and his car breaks down, or an Italian Monsignor anyway, and he winds up being hosted by Father Quixote, to have some lunch and have some wine and they wind up having a little conversation which kind of rambles around in an amusing way and in his complete innocence and thoughtfulness he's impressing the monsignor in a way the monsignor kind of mistakes his wisdom i think and um, so he goes back to rome and says this guy should be a monsignor we need more guys like this and so that happens and it enrages the bishop who says, I'm going to send you somebody to um, be your the priest under you because this guy knows how to run things. Yep, yep. <laughs> and Monsignor or Quixote then says, I need a vacation. I can't deal with this. And so he goes off. And at the same time as he goes off, the mayor of the town, this steadfast communist whose name is Sancho, so um he has been ousted in the latest election, so they go off together. And it is really Sancho who is kind of directing where they go for whatever reason. <laughs> well, we have nothing else to do. Let's go get to this town. We'll get you the Monsignor's garb that you should be wearing. Hmm. You know, let's go here. You can. We can look at this uh, tomb of... Um, what, General Francisco? Yeah, Francisco. Franco. Yeah, Francisco Franco. Yeah, those kind of things, because he's trying to talk him into becoming a communist. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know a lot about Francisco Franco, and I, I have not read Don Quixote either. So I knew that there were some things, some uh, allusions maybe, or um, parallels with Don Quixote, the novel, that I, I think I was missing. Um, but, but yeah, it, it was fascinating, and, and I loved their conversations. And um, it was humorous, like you said, like, you know, this bishop coming along and <laughs> and uh, he's got, I think her name was Teresa, his, uh, oh, his, his, serv his, his servant, yeah, his housekeeper, yeah. yeah, and those conversations and stuff, you know, about steak. Um, <laughs> but it's all, <laughs> yeah, it's all very good. And then I love that, uh, you know, he gets this letter and says, you know, hey, you're a Monsignor now. <laughs> he's like, and he's dismayed. He's like, yeah, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's not right. I shouldn't yeah, be a Monsignor. This has to be a clerical error or something. Yeah. So, um, yeah, very good. Yeah, it, because um, the whole, the parallels are kind of pointed out to us pretty broadly. So they'll say, like, the at one point, uh, the Garda, which is the police, the mayor will say, well, they're like your windmills that you're tilting at. So... Graham Greene is kind of pointing us along the way that the car, the broken down old mm -hmm. car mm -hmm. that Monsignor Quixote drives is called Rosinante, which is the name of the horse in Don Quixote, who's a broken down nag. So, and they kind of treat it like a horse. He's like, oh, it's gone a long way today. We better let it rest some. <laughs> well, let's have some wine while we do it. Yeah, yeah. And a toast to the Holy Trinity. Well, that's three <laughs> bottles we should drink. So, you oh, know. <laughs> right, right. Yep. Yep, just fun. And 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 then littered with wisdom. You know, I, I've got several little pieces that are just like, oh, that was interesting. You know, in their conversations. So, mm -hmm. um, really good stuff. 
Yeah, and I think the, his encounter with the Monsignor early on, when I stop and think back, is indicative of how the whole book is going to go. It's what is the way that people are misunderstanding what's going on and what is the interpretation they put on that? So when lunch is being made, and he's like, well, I always have a little steak for lunch, so he can have my steak or we can share it. And that's when Teresa says, well, I never told you, but this is horse steak. <laughs> he goes, what? I can't serve horse steak. Well, it's all we've got. Mm-hmm. So they serve it, and the Monsignor's eating it, and he's going, this steak, this steak. And Don Quixote, or I mean, um, Father Quixote at that point is saying, Oh, no, no. And he says, this is the tenderest, the best tasting. I've never had steak like this. Oh, my gosh, how do you rate this kind of thing? And so it's the good interpretation put on everything because he has no preconceptions about the steak. And it's then they go on to a conversation about a mosquito. And Monsignor Quixote, <laughs> or I mean, Father Quixote is going, oh, mosquitoes. And the Monsignor kind of, I guess maybe he is kind of like uh Father Quixote, because he goes, oh, well, the the sting of the mosquito is there to remind us of the pain that we suffer for God's love. Mm-hmm. It's like a scourge. And then uh, the buzz is like God's buzzing in our ear. And then Don, Father Quixote keeps saying, says, oh, I suppose the flea is the same way. And the Monsignor looks at him to see if he's joking, but he's not. And that's when he goes, you're unusual. Okay. You get it. <laughs> you get it. I love it. <laughs> when he's just thinking out loud, really. Uh-huh. He's just, yep. huh, okay, mm-hmm. all right. Yeah. And so that kind of shows us the path that we're going to be taking. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's always somebody who seems to know more than Father Quixote or Monsignor Quixote, depending on which part of the book you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also wind up seeing that through him, just his innocence – and the way he sees things very plainly, it, it gives us a, a different insight into everything. Yeah. And I guess that's the way with Don Quixote, the book Don Quixote. Mm, okay. <clears throat> I think so. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with, you know, The Man of La Mancha, that mm-hmm. play and stuff. Um, so I'm not unfamiliar with Don Quixote, but I haven't read the book. Um, so, you know, there's just the general sketch outline, I guess I know. Well, because his Dulcinea, who he... he reveres as a fine lady who he wants to serve with his chivalry is actually a prostitute, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at least maybe when you said man of La Mancha, I suddenly thought, doesn't him believing in her to be a fine lady make her yeah. be better than she is? Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's the same way with what we see him encountering along the way. Um, I, I'm, I'm put in mind, and it it's not necessarily that the people themselves are around him enough to change except for the mayor. Right, the mayor is right. definitely yeah. changing because of their conversations. But I'm thinking of when they run into a bank robber who takes them hostage because he wants them to drive him somewhere so he can escape from the police. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, he's he's they've already run into people who've been looking, the Garda, who've been looking for this guy. And so he's in the back seat and he's saying, um, the, you're a very bad driver, the man said. It's Rosinante. She never likes going backwards. I'm afraid you haven't much room back there with all that wine. Shall I stop and return the case to the boot? No, go on. Whatever happened to your Honda? The Guardia said you abandoned it. I ran out of petrol. I had forgotten to fill the tank. Wrong pair of shoes, no petrol. It really does look as though God was against your plans. (laughs) And he says, can't you drive any quicker? No, Rosinante is very old. She's apt to break down at over 40. He looked in the driving mirror and saw the revolver pointing at him. I wish you would relax and put the gun down, he said. Rosinante sometimes behaves a bit like a camel. If she shakes you up suddenly, that thing might go off. You wouldn't be very happy with another man's death on your conscience. What do you mean, another man? The poor fellow in the bank whom you killed. I didn't kill him, I missed. God does certainly seem to have been working overtime, Father Quixote said, to preserve you from grave sin. Hmm. And um, 
So he's taking, instead of just saying, wow, you're a terrible bank robber, you're so incompetent, or you're lying, either way, he just says, oh, God's working on your behalf to save you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's that was a cool moment. <clears throat> um, but yeah, all, all that stuff. So you're saying, you know, he's just making people better along the way. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you know, in the book too, they're not... It, it's not a world in which the novel Don Quixote doesn't exist. It does yeah. exist, right? Yeah. And they talk yeah. about it all the time. And um, it's it's the mayor, I believe, who made the connection. He said, you know, so in Don Quixote, you are – or Don Quixote was holding on to the old chivalry. And you are holding on to the old religion. Yeah. Right? Isn't that how he put that? So right. it's like – um, so he was making that connection. Um, so I, I think that that's an interesting thing that um, I don't know if the author is saying that or it's simply the mayor saying that. But that it's like he's holding on to something that people are moving on from. And then just like in Don Quixote, as he goes through the land, he is affecting everyone and um, making them better. <laughs> right? And the old well, religion is yeah. doing the same thing. And I think that that's fascinating. And Sancho, the mayor, is doing the same thing with communism. Um, because it's like when they're going to go, anytime they're going to have to spend money, the mayor's got tons of money. And, Don, and Monsignor Quixote will say, but you're a communist. He goes, well, communists aren't against money. It just has to be used for the good of the people. Hmm. Kind of like, I'm the people. Yeah, yeah. Well, he also was probably, you get the idea, skimming his mayor, already rich. And he definitely believes in communism. But it's what kind of communism. And so he also seems to be rebelling. He's not going to accept the election. All these people were against him, he says. And um, I was looking around at what people said about the book. And one of the things they were saying is there's a real rejection of dogmatic authority. Hmm. And that yeah, works yeah. for the bishop, the um, the father, the priest that the bishop sends, and the dogmatic ways of communism that the mayor seems to be rejecting. So, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. the guardia is dogmatic authority. They're not stopping and thinking about what they're seeing. They're just going, you guys look suspicious. You're sitting around doing nothing but drinking wine. <laughs> You're probably casing the joint for something. Yes, right. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, thinking about all of that, you know, right, the bishop, the the law, I guess. Um, yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Because now that I think about it, the book is bookended by the first Monsignor, the Italian Monsignor who shows up, and he's more like, you know, Monsignor Quixote, right? Mm-hmm. They understand each other. He loves his books. He loves, you know, the way he's living. He loves all these things. He forgot to put gas in his car. Yeah. Which even <laughs> Monsignor Quixote couldn't believe that he would be that idiotic. Uh-huh. And then at the end, you have, um, is it Father Leopold? Mm-hmm. Father Le- Leopoldo. Leopoldo, of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. who seems to be cut from the same cloth as Monsignor Quixote. He looks at that mass that's done at the end of the book and says no that was genuine and real it was we couldn't see it but it was all there yeah yeah that was amazing um and yeah he's using the old latin mass Mm -hmm. um yeah very very interesting but he's he also understands monsignor quixote pretty well Mm -hmm. so there are priests who are okay there are people who are not um, just tied into this real, I mean, dogmatic is a good word, this real rigid way of looking at how faith should be believed, should be applied, that kind of thing. Mm. They're willing to be a little more flexible to situations and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is this is fascinating. So this was, again, in 1982. So, um, so Pope John Paul took over in 78? I think. Mm-hmm. So he was, you know, so I, who knows when it was written. It was published in 82, but, you know, surely it was written 
I'm guessing, you know, in 80, 81 or something. But I, I just think that that's interesting. I don't know if he's saying anything specific. Um, but uh, Opus Dei comes up. I thought that was interesting, you know, because the book, the book feels... Disapprovingly. Yeah, disapprovingly. It, it reminds me of this book that we did on a previous podcast that you brought us as well, uh, The Little World of Don Camillo. And, um, oh, yeah. you know, so the book feels to me like it was written in the 50s. <laughs> when I read it, oh. it just felt that way. And then you would say something about Opus Dei and it, it seemed like, oh, that how does that belong here? Um, you know, yeah. so that was a really interesting thing to me. It just felt older. What an interesting comparison, too, because, mm-hmm. of course, it's funny Don Camila, Don Camila, yeah, Don Camila. Sorry, mm-hmm. now I'm getting all the Dons and the Monsignors <laughs> mixed up. It's just going to be that way. But Don Camilo was very um, fierce in his defense of what he perceived to be the rights and wrongs of the faith. Yeah, not the wrongs of the faith, but how the faith was being wronged by their communist mayor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you have the same situation here, but here. Those two, instead of battling each other, are kind of battling the establishments that they've been part of <laughs> in their own ways. And they're kind of have linked arms while they're doing it. Mm. Because although they are uh, jabbing each other about faith and, the, and what, what do you have belief in? Because it's really a book about doubt, belief, and faith. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And both... Certainly, uh, Monsignor Quixote is struggling with doubt because he has at one point some dream where he's like, well, there was no doubt left. Everybody had to believe because of the way that things were handled at the end of Jesus's life, which turns out no crucifixion in this dream. And he's like, well, now there's no need for faith. And what's even the point of anything if there's no need for you to have faith? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of all a consideration of doubt. And then the mayor, toward the end of the book, begins experiencing his own kind of doubt from having been around Don Quixote, Monsignor Quixote, <laughs> and his um, experience at the end of the book. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe you didn't feel that way. I don't know. No, I did feel that way. Um, because, yeah, I did feel that uh, Sancho was changing throughout the book. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know, yeah, Monsignor Quixote, you know, especially at the end, how, you know, when he celebrated that mass with nothing in front of him um, mm-hmm. and then gave him communion, uh, you know, with nothing in his hand, right? Yes. Um, it, it was remarkable. It was, that was a really moving thing. Um, but it, I felt like he, at the end of his life, he was, he had come, he had, he had full faith at that time, I felt. And then, yes. um, you know, uh, Sancho, it, it couldn't help but rub off on him. Yeah, for all the doubts that he was having. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I guess that's the way it is. You see how the world interprets things, whether it's your faith or the other things you believe in. Yeah. And you start doubting the system and why do I believe this stuff and is there really something here I should be believing? Mm. And... At the end, though, what I was realizing is that he was most upset when the bishop said he wasn't allowed to celebrate Mass anymore. Because mm. he has a period where, <laughs> this is this book is so ridiculous, but it also kind of works, is <laughs> he's been doing things and word's been getting back to the bishop and his very officious priest he sent in there. Yes. <laughs> and so they tracked down Don Monsignor Quixote and basically take the doctor with them and go, he's crazy. So they give him an injection and take him back to the town where they can lock him in his room until he, quote, recovers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at the point when, right before he's going to escape, there's a note that's shoved under the door for Monsignor Quixote to read. And that's when he's like, you're not allowed to practice masses anymore until you've recovered. <laughs> and in essence, until you act like the way I want you to act. And um, he says, well, that's it. That's now I'm dead. Mm. Yeah. And that death is, is because he can't practice the mass because the mass is what he has full faith in, Mm. which as any good Catholic and Catholic priest would know, 
that is the center of everything that is Catholicism because the Eucharist is the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that means he was being cut off from that by the bishop. And that's what he couldn't stand. And so at the end, when he's doing it invisibly, he's brought to life right before he physically mm-hmm. dies. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So it's a wonderful little arc of what does it mean to have full faith? Even if you can't get your hands around the rest of the faith, the Catholic faith, this is the core of it. This you have to believe. Yeah. This is what's real. Mm-hmm. Which I hadn't really thought about until we were talking about it. That's the great thing about talking it over. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. Yeah. And um, as far as how the mayor felt, I mean, the last paragraph of the book um, we should read. I don't know if you'd like to mm-hmm. read it. No, but you it, read it. Okay, but it's terrific. Um, yeah. The mayor didn't speak again before they reached um, Orens. <clears throat> I'm not going to pronounce the name <laughs> of these <clears throat> the name of these places. An idea quite strange to him had lodged in his brain. Why is it that the hate of a man, even of a man like Franco, dies with his death, and yet love, the love which he had begun to feel for Father Cajote, seemed now to live and grow in spite of the final separation and the final silence. For how long, he wondered with a kind of fear, was it possible for that love of his to continue? And to what end? Beautiful. Man. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that 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 alone makes this book worth a read. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, so it's just like... Um, you know, so whatever Graham Greene was feeling, uh, he seems to have come to a great conclusion. Yeah, because I think this is his own personal meditation. I think um, so, too. Yeah. Just wonderfully and amusingly written about. Mm-hmm. And also, it's kind of that thing of, you know, Monsignor Quixote's innocence protects him from so many things. And that's part of, I think, what the mayor was allowed to see. When you see the world through those more innocent eyes, I mean, he takes them to a brothel to spend the night at one point because the mayor wants to relive some of his past youth, which he finds he can't do very well. That's right. And that's very upsetting to him. But as far as Monsignor Quixote knows, until at least partway through the day, um, this is just a hotel. And he goes, look, here's a little square envelope. And he opens it up and he goes, it's a balloon. I gave us a balloon. And he's blowing it up and going, look at the balloon. Mayor's having to go, never really been exposed to contraceptives before. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. He's like, oh, they gave us a foot bath. They gave us a, uh-huh. you know, and you're just like, oh, my gosh. And, um, and then at a different point, they're... I can't remember exactly why, if it's that they, the mayor wants to get them off the streets or they just don't have anything to do until whatever's kind of happened next. And so they go to a movie and he lets Monsignor Quixote pick it out and goes, here's a lovely sounding one, a maiden's prayer. Hmm. And they go in, well, it's a porno flick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Monsignor Quixote doesn't realize that until they're way into the movie. <laughs> And uh, when he does, I don't know if he even really realizes what's going on because he's he is so chaste. Mm-hmm. He's never he'd never even thought about sex really. Yeah, yeah. And he um, he just starts laughing <laughs> at what he's seeing on the screen, and of course, you know, just seen with not knowing anything else, it would look stupid <laughs> and just funny. Yeah. And then later, the mayor says, "Haven't you ever felt?" desire for a woman or you know any lust anything like that and he goes no and he goes oh you're a very lucky man and he says am i how can you resist evil if you don't even know evil exists or something how can you resist temptation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you don't even know temptation exists are you do you get any credit for that (laughs) so then he's sorry he never felt any of those things Mm, yeah so that's also kind of a bit of a meditation at that point on our own lives. Yeah. You yep. know, the things mm-hmm. we're struggling with, do we say thank you for? Because then we know what we're struggling against. Mm-hmm. 
we're allowed to grow through the struggle? I don't know. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because um, in another place in the book, again, this just feeds the fact that this is a meditation, and he's exploring numbers of different ways to look at things. But early on in the book, in the uh, it's in the chapter titled "How a Certain Light Was Shed Upon the Holy Trinity." <laughs> I love I love how the, the titles are. But he yes. says, um, so they, they, they're, they're driving and they're hungry and they find out that Teresa has put cheese and wine in their back seat. Yes. So, uh, so he says, uh, praise be to God, Father Cody says, uh, a big manchego cheese, some smoked sausages, and even two glasses and two knives. I don't know about praise to God, this is the mayor speaking, but certainly praise to Teresa. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> yes. it's probably the same thing, Sancho. All our good actions are acts of God, just as all our ill actions are acts of the devil. And then the mayor says, in that case, you must forgive our poor Stalin, for perhaps only the devil was responsible. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's another just aspect of the same thing that you're talking about, um, you know, with the temptation. You know, if I never felt the temptation, am I really fighting it uh, you know am i a better person for overcoming it but then here's the idea that well everything that's evil is from the devil and does that make us responsible for it you know right so it's just it's a again it's his uh green's meditation on these various things and they just come fast and furious you know they they talk the whole book and just things come up and <laughs> and uh they they consider it, you know, um, but but the another thing that the thought that I had, I mean, have you ever had a friend who um, likes to talk to you about religion all the time, but is not religious, and you know, you get into that, you know, I think you're protesting too much kind of a thing, because <laughs> really they're they're super interested because something's working in them, and okay. um, and they keep talking and talking and um, you know eventually. Hopefully, they get or have, it might even be a little bit of a courage to, to take the step and say, you know, there's there's a reason why this is so interesting to me. Um, and, and I feel like that's kind of the, the path that Sancho took in this book, too. Oh, that, yeah. Well, and of course, part of it is that they're always um, just poking at each other mm. and you know you mentioning Stalin made me think of there was a bit earlier where he's talking about the mayor is talking about how he got kicked out in fact this might be the same chapter no this is how Monsignor Quixote set off on his travels mm. but the mayor is talking about getting uh, booted out in the election he says because um, Monsignor Quixote said well um, you've been let down by your party, mm. the Communist Party. Mm. And he says, it is not a question of my party. Three men alone have done this to me. And he mentioned, again, the butcher, the garagist, and the affair of the deep freeze. There are traitors in every party. In your party, too, Father Quixote, there was Judas. And in yours, there was Stalin. Don't bring up that old stale history now. The history of Judas is even older. <laughs> Alexander the Sixth says the mayor. Trotsky says Monsignor Quixote. Though I suppose you may be allowed now to have a difference of opinion about Trotsky. There was little logic in their argument, but it was the nearest they had ever come to a quarrel. And so then the mayor says, "And what about your opinion of Judas? He's a saint in the Ethiopian Church." And Monsignor Quixote says, Sancho, Sancho, we disagree too profoundly to dispute. Let us go to my house and have a glass of Marsala. So I loved that we disagree too profoundly to dispute. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the thing that we were talking about earlier with Jenny and the SFF audio people that we know is we just stay away from that stuff because that's not worth arguing about with everybody. Mm. You yeah, know? you know, and then when you have conversations with um you know so so often you know like if an atheist try you know it wants to engage in a conversation sometimes you realize immediately that you aren't even speaking the same language because 
we, our disagreement is way back here. It's not where you were talking about right now, you know, like an issue of the day, perhaps. Yeah. In order for you to understand a position on something that's happening right now, we have some things, some background that we have to go back to. So, um, so I, I think that that's, that's really well said, you know. That's and, a good and, and point. I think, you know, and, and that's what we need to do in the United States anyway. I mean, that's this grand experiment is all these people of these different viewpoints figuring out a way to coexist, you know, to, to live mm-hmm. together. And in, mm-hmm. uh, in a world history, you know, we've been fighting each other. So, you know, is there a way for us not to? Um, I feel like that's, that's what the great experiment is. When, when I hear those words, that's what I think of. Yeah, it's like we've forgotten what we have in common. We're just arguing about what we dispute about. Right, yeah. And not even arguing about the proper thing about it. Mm-hmm. We're just glancing off the surface. Right. Yeah. hmm Yeah, and we're not, you know, there's, there's, if we get down far enough as Americans, if we talk just about being Americans, um, right. you know, how we want to be able to live and all this other stuff, if we get down far enough, we should agree on the idea that we, you know, of freedom and, and liberty and justice and these things, these things, I think that reasonable people all agree with, you know, and the rest right. of it is all these details. And we were arguing all the details all the time. <laughs> well, that's, you know? that's the thing. And that's to go back to this bit I just read. Um, these are all little details that no one's looking deep enough at. Mm-hmm. Judas, Stalin, Trotsky, Alexander the Sixth, who was a bad pope. Mm-hmm. And um, but here's the thing: is these two guys actually know this stuff enough? It's come up enough, I guess, that they see the parallels. They're like, there's no yeah, perfect people. See, that's, that's great too. Yeah. Every party's full of sinners. Basically, mm-hmm. we shouldn't be arguing about this stuff. Yeah. You what know, uh, is below that? Yeah, I love I love that, and and it just makes me think about you know what people know today and what people don't know. Um, yeah. I was listening to an old Bob Newhart album. <laughs> uh-huh. Bob Newhart, comedian, has uh, several albums. Um, the uh, the button down mind of Bob Newhart. <clears throat> anyway, I was listening to one, and he was doing this bit of comedy, and he was talking about Lincoln. And uh, other things, you know, uh, in in that time, and mm-hmm. I, I, the audience was laughing, you know, and and I just thought, you know, I wonder if if he were to do that same routine today in a lounge in Las Vegas, if anybody would even understand the historical context in which he was speaking, <laughs> you know, it's it's like we used to have a common a common knowledge of our own history and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But now I, 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 it just occurred to me that people don't know that now. I mean, I could talk to a young person and they, they don't know that. I mean, they'll know who Lincoln is, but some of the things that he was riffing on and joking about, um, you know, it wasn't offensive in any way, you know, so it's not like that. I'm not saying that. No, he was never that kind of comedian. It's just that it was, he was, he was assuming that the audience knew things that I think today the audience would not know. And um, I think that that's just changed over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but just like what you're saying, you know, those, the, that list of things, you know, they knew each other's, they knew enough about each other's history to be able to riff about, about it, you know. And um, that shows a certain amount of empathy and a certain amount of caring that the other person is a person. And um, I just don't see a lot of that in today's society, at least the society we're presented on the news and stuff, you know, and on Twitter or whatever. Um, in personal one-on-one life, I, I feel like we get along with each other pretty darn good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 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 Right. So... It's so, the yeah. it's the public conversation, I think. Right. Yeah, that's a good way you to know? put that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's the media is influencing things. Social media, where people are too often just hitting those shallow points and moving on. Um, and I was trying to remember because that's even kind of talked about 
in this book, and I didn't mark the spot, but where they go to see uh, Franco's tomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And I wish I could find the spot because... Was it about see. prayer? That's it. Okay, so I um, think I have that highlighted. Oh, here. okay. Um, okay, so it's in it's in um, how Monsignor Quixote and Sancho visit another holy site. Oh, um, so he said, <laughs> okay. uh, "Did so?" It's the second holy site, right? Did you say yeah. a prayer? Of course. Is this the part you mean? The same prayer as you said for the Generalissimo. There is only one prayer we need say for anyone dead. So you'd say it for Stalin, of course, and for Hitler. There are different. There are degrees of evil, Sancho, and of good. We can try to discriminate between the living, but with the dead, we can't discriminate. They all have the same need of our prayer. Is that close to what you meant? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was. I was just thinking about that because that's looking at each person as a person, no matter what they've done. Right. Right. Um, and that can be taken too far, especially. I think our society has a tendency to do that sometimes. Is we give people the benefit of a doubt when maybe mm-hmm. they shouldn't be given, and then it backfires in horrible ways. I don't know. We, we, we forgive someone, but they still have penance to do. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't erase the event. You can forgive a right. person, but that doesn't mean that you pretend it didn't ever happen. Well, yeah, and I'm actually thinking, because they're talking about people who generated horrible wars that killed lots of people, the Civil War and... And Stalin, of course, you know, mm-hmm. they used bulldozers to put those people in graves that he right, killed of his right. own people. And, of course, that makes it, they're talking about at that point about a political system, but about people who are also figureheads of evil. And I'm going to bring this down to our own level at this point right now is um, when we're recording this two days ago, there was a mass shooting at a, a grade school. And I have Mm -hmm. um, felt very awful about that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, felt a lot of, uh, I've been mourning, let's put it that way. I've Mm -hmm. been mourning this this whole event. And as I've been doing that, the the young man who was the gunman would cross my mind and I would think he was committing an act of horrible evil and I know I should be praying for his soul, but I really can't do that right now. I just can't. Mm-hmm. But that's the part of you don't have to do it right away, but at some point you have to recognize this person's humanity. Mm-hmm. He committed a horrible act of evil, but somewhere underneath there was an actual human being. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to ever know what brought him to that point. Just like everybody likes to come up with theories about Hitler and that kind of thing. But I do have to acknowledge him as a human being, and I have to acknowledge Christ's sorrow at both what he did and who he became. Mm -hmm. All the potential, the good potential he was born with was gone. Yeah. And um, those are the kinds of questions. This is a light book, but when he's having... um, Monsignor Quixote go to those tombs of those people as a representative Catholic and go, yeah, the dead all need our prayers. Mm-hmm. Those are the questions he's he's mm-hmm. kind of going, you have to be fair to everyone, mm-hmm. whether you agree with them or not. And even if, you know, you have to be able to say they committed an act of evil, but they were still a human being. Without forgiving them for what they did, that's not for me to forgive. I mean, I can't. But I can still pray for their soul. Yep, it's difficult, but it is. It is hard. Yep. Yep, and it it is you know what we're taught. <laughs> it's what we. It's a. It's an offshoot of our morality, right? How we how we should yeah. look at people. That's so. the forgiving your enemy, forgiving mm-hmm. um, the people who hate you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's Monsignor Quixote. Um, He seems so innocent, and he is innocent in a lot of ways. But there are other points where he's shown to be thinking very clearly and straight about things. For you know, because when he's trading those little things about you know, well, Trotsky, 
you know, and and whoever in reference to Judas, um, he is able to to give as good as he gets. Mm. He's not dumb. He knows who these people are, and he knows how they relate exactly. He's not stupid. Yeah, innocence is different. Mm-hmm. Not knowing what a porno film is is not the same as not understanding good and evil. Right. Right. And that's what the bishop can't understand, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and can't see. Right. Well, it's the same thing as um, the closest we see to him condemning something is when there's a town that's having a religious procession. And I've read about these things before. I always thought of them as more Italian, but mm-hmm. um, where they carry a statue of Mary around yes, uh-huh. for veneration. <laughs> but everybody who's carrying Mary which is considered a great honor, uh, people have all given money, mm. donated money. So there's all this money attached to Mary, the statue of Mary. And mm-hmm. Monsignor Quixote didn't really understand ever what was going on. And then he's, it says he sees the statue all the way. And it says, Father Quixote could not understand what he saw. He was not offended by the customary image with the plaster face and the expressionless blue eyes but the statue seemed to be clothed entirely in paper. A man pushed him to one side, waving a hundred peseta note, and reached the statue. The carriers paused and gave him time to pin his note on the robe of the statue. It was impossible to see the robes for all the paper money. Hundred peseta notes, thousand peseta notes, a five hundred franc note, and right over the heart, a hundred dollar bill. Hmm. Between him and the statue were only the priest and the fumes of the incense from his censer. Father Quixote gazed up at the crowned head and the glassy eyes, which were like those of a woman dead and neglected. No one had bothered even to lower her lids. He thought, was it for this she saw her son die in agony? To collect money? To make a priest rich? And this is one of the windmills. This, mm-hmm. At this point, the mm-hmm. mayor goes, you better leave. This is not the windmill you want to tilt at. And he's like, nope. So he stops the priest and says, this is blasphemy. And of course, to them, it's a custom they're raising money for whatever reason. And people are essentially giving the money both to donate, but also for a blessing. So this is like um, indulgences misused. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, right. He, he, yeah, and he just completely disrupts the whole thing and gets the police on their tail one more time because they're like, oh, now he's stealing money. Hmm. Because what he was doing is knocking the bills off of the statue. Right, right. So this is the evil of idolatry, misuse of faith, all the things, you know. So he does see it clearly, but he doesn't see like everyone else does. The mayor understands what he's doing. The mayor's like, you can't fight it like this. He's (laughs) like, well, but I have to. It's right here in front of me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's the windmill he has to tilt at. Right, right. Wow. Yep. Very good. Very, very good. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, th- this is just a cool book. I don't. I don't even know. I don't, yeah. Well, I, I, I likened it to the little um, Don Camillo, mm-hmm. um, but um, it just reminded me of that. But yeah, this. I, I can't think of another book like this. Really, it's uh, very, very interesting. Yeah, and I think if we had read Don Quixote, we would recognize a lot more of the parallels, but. I think because this is so focused mm-hmm. and we're reminded plenty. I mean, I knew enough of the great big beats of Don Quixote that when it's pointed out by the author, I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, yeah, because right. um, again, it's, you know, chivalry and theology in this case are kind of tie or faith are kind of tied up because one of the things he's kind of, railing against is this moral theology idea, which is that here's how you interpret the faith and here's how you live it according to this theologian, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which hadn't really occurred to me in that sense, except that just the other night I was listening to a fairly recent Catholic Answers with Jimmy Aiken where somebody was talking about, is it okay to lie if you want to get on the Supreme Court to vote keep Roe versus Wade in. Mm. And conversely, is it okay to lie to get on the Supreme Court to get rid of Roe v. Wade? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And all the conversation after that was talking about, well, Aquinas and Augustine say any kind of lying is completely wrong. However, that's moral theology. Mm-hmm. And moral theology does not absolutely have to be followed. And this was, I was like, oh, if Augustine and Aquinas say it, it's not, I don't have to absolutely agree with it. Wait, hold on. And for some things I know that, but for things like, should you ever tell a lie? And it, and so I'd always feel bad when I kind of tell a white lie or, you know, mm. no, that hairdo looks fine. Because what are they going to do? Go get their hair cut again? I mean, you know, sometimes it's a kindness in that sense. And so I was thinking about all that because they were going, well, you have to look at these motivations, these intentions, all these things before they even came back to the whole question. And the person was clearly, they were angry uh, about mm. the church and uh, the all the Roe v. Wade stuff and everything. So um, they kept yeah. trying to come back in a pointed way. So that doesn't even bear talking about. But this whole idea, they went, but other people have said this. And they're like, and think about it, the Catholic Church gave out false papers for Jewish people during World War II, mm-hmm. saying that they were Catholic. They hid people on their premises. They were lying in order to save people's lives. So you have to gauge it. And I was like, oh, yeah. And, you know, you like to think you're smart, but then you find out you've <laughs> never thought about it enough, And even though it's a simple question. And yeah. this book does that same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes, it does. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it generates lots of lots of thoughts that are similar to that. You mm-hmm. know, how, how do we live, and you know, in government and in uh, faith. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I guess the reason I was bringing that up is because on his trip, Father Quixote or Monsignor Quixote has been scolded for not adhering closely enough to Jones's moral theology book, whatever mm, that is. Right, right. And so he takes it with him. He's going to read it again. Mm-hmm. And then um, the mayor has brought the Communist Manifesto and a few other little Catholic books with him. So they they give their books to each other to read. Mm. And um, it's funny because the mayor reads the moral theology and the Monsignor can hear him laughing as he's reading it. And he's like, he didn't remember anything funny in it. But <laughs> even though he didn't agree with a lot of it. Uh. And then he is reading... Um, the book, let's, let me find my place. He's been reading the Communist Manifesto, I believe it is. And he's saying that, um, he's like, well, I didn't realize Marx was really on the side of the bourgeoisie. <laughs> and the mayor's like, what? He was not. And he says, well, of course, says uh, this is Monsignor Quixote, Of course, an economist is bound to see things in very material terms, and I admit perhaps I dwell too much on the spiritual. And the mayor says, but he hated the bourgeois. And he says, oh, hatred we know is often the other side of love. Perhaps, poor man, he had been rejected by what he loved. Listen to this, Sancho. The bourgeoisie, during its rule of scarce 100 years, has created more massive and more colossal production forces than have all the preceding generations together. Subjection of nature's forces to man, machinery, application of chemistry to industry and agriculture, steam navigation, railways, um, electric telegraphs, clearing of whole continents for cultivation, canalization of rivers, whole populations conquered out of the ground. It makes one almost proud to be a bourgeois, doesn't it? What a magnificent colonial governor Marx would have made. If only Spain had produced a man like that, perhaps we would never have lost our empire. Poor man, he had to put up with an overcrowded lodging in a poor part of London and borrow from his friends. (laughs) And the mayor says, you look at Marx from a strange angle, father. (laughs) And he says, I was prejudiced against him, even though he did defend monasteries, but I had never read this little book. A first reading is something special, like a first love. I wish I could come on St. Paul now by accident, read him for the first time. So it's it's Mm -hmm. that same thing of me hearing the thing going, oh, I never looked at the moral theology of lying from all these different points of view. And it's him saying, well, I was prejudiced, but look at what he wrote. And of course, obviously, it's a criticism. Mm. But he looked at it as 
as a complement to humanity's accomplishments, to the bourgeoisie's accomplishments. Right, right. And it's just like, it's true. What they have done is amazing. Maybe the way they did it wasn't the best way, but this is to the glory of God, uh-huh. <laughs> says Monsignor Quixote. Oh, wow. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, that's a great insight. This is cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, this is a great book. So thanks again for picking it because, yeah, I, I never would have run across this one. Not in a million years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you liked it. I was, as I said, just so amused and enjoyable. I found it very enjoyable. Um, it was just so much fun to read. And then, of course, as you're reading it, you're just kind of watching all these conversations going on between these two and this friendship growing. And you're realizing this is just a special little book, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it is. That it is. Um, yeah, so you, you have not read his other stuff, um, not much of it anyway. So, the end I mean, of the, the, the power, yeah, the power and the glory are the, is the one that I keep feeling I should put on my list. Um, but you have not read that one, right? Mm-mm. Okay, okay. I yep. that's the one you know, people will say, What Graham Greene should you read? and everyone says, The power and the glory, and I'm like, No, 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 <laughs> no, that's like Flannery O'Connor. Don't mm-hmm. start off with. Things like um, a good man is hard to find. Mm-hmm. Don't start with that story. Start with Revelation. Mm. That's I, I don't know if you remember that one. Oh, That's sure, one yeah. where at the end mm-hmm. she sees herself going to heaven, and mm-hmm. I mean sees everyone going to heaven, and she's at the end, and it's like that's at least more understandable. Mm-hmm. You have to ease into these things. Yeah, yeah. My first Flannery was a good man is hard to find, oh, and me I too. was I Ugh. was blown away by it. I, I could I I remember I. I had I had gone somewhere and I had like an hour because I dropped someone off and I had to wait. Uh, it, was, it was I would have had to drive a long way home and whatever. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in a parking lot and I and I brought that book to read and I read the first story and I remember just being so stunned by it. I was I sat there and I said, "What was that?" It was like <laughs> lightning. Yeah. That's funny because I said, what was that? I hate it. Oh, Ugh. my gosh. I mis- you said you were hit by lightning. I'm yeah. like, that, that's electrifying and mm. shocking at the same time, but it kind of makes you pay attention. And to yeah. me, I was like, I never want to read anything by this woman ever again. How awful this oh is. Gosh. I don't understand what I read, but it's awful. Yeah. And it took... Reading the stories out loud with some of my book club people, who all we read a selection and came in stunned <laughs> to the mm. meeting. And then as we read some of it out loud and talked about it, it came more clear. And then you and I covering a lot of these stories mm. have given me mm. a real affection. But you have to change how you look at it, right? You, yeah, you yeah. can't look at it the same way. And I think Graham Greene is the same. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I have to say, The Power and the Glory is probably one of those books that, unusually, I would say, I would read to talk about on the podcast without either of us having read it before, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just to jump in. Yeah. Yeah. But, I don't know how big a book it is, but I'd like to give it a read. Oh, it's only 200 pages, so. Yeah. Uh, Unless yep. it gets it out of the way quick. <laughs> I like that. You bet. So only I'm, 200 I'm get that pages. on my list and give it a read mm-hmm. yeah but uh but, but yeah. um yeah so this book is like that but in a, such a pleasant way mm-hmm. yep it is absolutely he gives you is. characters that you can love that you can understand and though they're so different they're really they understand each other well and it's not that they're the same they're not the same mm-hmm. the mayor has a worldliness that Monsignor Quixote won't, but they, he still understands that worldliness because he's lived in that village and he doesn't go around going, oh, yes, I know because of this villager. You just get the feeling he understands people well enough. He can see below that veneer. Mm, yeah. Yep. Very good. Very good. Yep. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Well, what is next for us? Mm, oh, yes. What is next? Oh, yes. <laughs> what is it? It is Jaws. <gasps> it is summer blockbuster time. 
No, gonna- <laughs> I mean, yes, uh, something. I'm not going near the water. I know that. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna watch Jaws. I can't remember, you know, when I when I picked this. Uh, I can't remember how it came up, but we were talking about summer blockbusters, and I thought, yeah, well, let's do one of those. Let's just do. It's like this is the first one, um, and uh, yeah. I said, let's do it. So here we go. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but it'll be fun. Well, I have to say, if you ever visit my neighborhood, mm-hmm. I can take you to the spot where it premiered. Really? How fun. Unfortunately, it's no longer a movie theater, but uh-huh. after that, Steven Spielberg premiered a lot of his movies there oh, because that was the one that did it. Yeah. That's cool. It's a funny little bit of local history that you no bet, one remembers. Yeah. 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 So, and we, we should also mention here, too, that um, Lonesome Dove is what we're doing after that. And it's a bit oh, of a yeah. large book. So if anybody <laughs> would like to read it, you could go ahead and get started. That's. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I was gonna. Mm-hmm. It's 900 pages of yeah. gritty Western goodness. So I understand. <laughs> I haven't read it. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone <laughs> for listening. Yes. Yes. Have a great couple of weeks, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.